Hello, my finest friends. You are so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, my fine friends, my fine friends. Welcome to uh, Rahalastapa. Uh, we're coming to the end of the run at the Leicester Square Theatre in 2021. Uh, the, they've been a, were a lot of fun. We are doing more in 2022. Check slash gigs for info on that. Plus, we're doing some of the Phoenix uh, Leicester Comedy Festival and the Bristol Slapstick Festival as well. So, do check out those dates on my webpage. Anyway, the guest this week is the intellectually intimidating Emma Dabbery. Um, I was a bit scared to begin with that I wasn't going to keep up with her intellectually. Then I just accepted I wasn't going to do that and I relaxed and had a bit more fun. But um, she was a great guest, written some fantastic books and lots of interesting chat in this one. A bit more serious than some, but also some silly, funny stuff in there as well. Um, if you enjoy these podcasts, you can support us by buying one of my books, which helps me keep me going and keeps these for free. Uh, Would You Rather is out in all good bookshops and as an audio book, which is very different than the book. Uh, the Problem With Men is also now out in paperback, uh, also an audio book. Uh, perfect Christmas gifts for your friends and enemies alike. And uh, Would You Rather would be a lot of fun to play at Christmas, so I would... You, why don't you get it? I think you can get it from GoFasterStrike.com. Or everywhere else. All good bookshops. And some of the bad ones too. Anyway, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahala Stapa with Emma Dabbery. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has an idea that will revolutionise the game of association football. It's Richard Herring! Hello, Mary. Hello, hello. Love to see you. Should have killed me last year. Hello. Welcome uh, to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Uh, though I was hanging around with Darius from Pop Stars the other day. It's not even from the X Factor, he's from Pop Stars. He calls it Rallistabus. He's doing okay. He's doing all right. So, he's um, old Darius, he's doing all right. Um, <laughs> I was watching football on the TV last night. I don't usually watch football, but I was watching the game. Quite good. Uh, the goalkeeper had a beard. Don't usually see that with the goalkeeper, right? <laughs> don't, you don't, you, and I thought, is there a rule that stops a goalkeeper growing a beard that's the size of the goal <laughs> and then gelling it up so it's like solid hair? It's a hair wall. Can't be penetrated by a football. Don't think there is a rule that says that. So I am going to become a billionaire because I'm going to start up a football team. Why, you're not even bothered with the other players. I only have to pay one person. <laughs> I mean, we'll always draw nil-nil, but that's... <laughs> may I have one other bloke. Um, not much else. We went, oh, we went to see uh, Back to the Future, the musical. Yeah, you like it? No, it's great. It's, you know, it's, if, just watch the film. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> The film's better, though, isn't it? The film's better. Yeah. You know what I don't like about it? All the songs, isn't it? That's what ruins it for me. There's a bit that my, I went with my kids again, and my, I, I told a story about my son at Matilda making the whole audience laugh. Go and listen to it if you haven't heard it yet. Can't remember what show it's in. Uh, but at the beginning, this one, quite early on, Doc Brown says the word crap. Uh, and my son turned to my wife and uh, said, what does crap mean? Uh, Kenny made everyone laugh again. He's got two. He's been in the theatre twice. He's got more laughs than I have. <laughs> Very good. It's all right. It's okay. If you like Back to the Future. 
being changed a bit. <laughs> and uh, they're going to use up all my stand-up in this first episode. That's how it's not going to have any. Uh, I've been reading, um, with my daughter at night, I've been reading a book called Fantastically Great Women Who Made History. Uh, it's a nice thing to read with my daughter, um, although it turns out uh, that nearly all the fantastically great women who made history are dead and died <laughs> making history. But it's nice. It's nice to give us strong role models. Uh, I enjoyed... Sometimes I find out stuff I don't know, most of it, to be honest. Uh, Elizabeth Blackwell I'd never heard of, I don't think, who was the first woman to get a medical degree, possibly, in, uh, in America. But, uh, anyway, she was... She didn't... I mean, she's dead now, but she didn't die in the story. She was an impressive story. Uh, but she finally think, got into a, a university off the top of my head, remembering in Geneva, somewhere like that. Uh, and uh, the only reason she was allowed to enter the university was because they asked all the men at the university uh, if they would vote to allow women to study medicine with them. Uh, and they all just assumed it was a joke. Because <laughs> that was so ridiculous. And so they voted yes as a joke. <laughs> and she got in and was top of the hat class. That's the way to do it, girls. So. So it's good to have a live. One of the women survived, as an example. It's nice to have, uh, nice to have that. To, for, your, for your daughter, isn't it nice to say, look, you can do it. It's kind of embarrassing how you know how awful history is to women when you're going through it uh, with your daughter trying to inspire her. Um, anyway, my guest this week is probably best known for her appearance on the Antiques Roadshow. That's why we're here. <laughs> Main known for. Will you please welcome amazing Emma Tabiri, ladies and gentlemen? Tabiri, fuck, I did it. I did it wrong. After all that, Tabiri. I knew I would. I knew. I knew we were we were joking about it backstage about how I got a name right. Yeah, I was so impressed because my, he said my name correctly, which is, I'm just not even used to hearing the correct <laughs> pronunciation. I was and, like, wow. And then I said, and I prefer it, it my way. Yeah. And, then I, and then it was stuck in my way. Damn. How was the Antiques Roadshow for you? Do you remember being oh, on the Antiques fantastic. Road? Yeah, what career you, highlight. What did you do on the Antiques Roadshow? I can't remember. I, just don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> you, you sprung that on me. Um, what were we looking at? Um, can't, I actually can't remember. My, wow. <laughs> if a, I was on the Antiques Roadshow, I'd remember all it, about it. It was a good few years ago, to be yeah, fair. Right. And like quite a lot has happened since then. So did you have to tell the, the person what their object was worth? No, I think we were just talking about like its historical, its historical importance. There was something about um, a cabaret singer who'd been really like big back in the day, but I can't remember what the object was. I'm sorry, this isn't a very good story. No, it's very good. <laughs> I like it when people are bamboozled by their own, their own life. That's what I enjoy. Now, that's, it's a kind of joke I do at the beginning. I pick on something obscure, it's all right. Um, there's lots to talk to you about. Uh, I'm going to try and keep it light for a bit. <laughs> for a little bit. What did I have that was light? Oh, it was the Antiques Roadshow. That was... That was, <laughs> That's your lot. That was a lot. Um, so, look, let's, well, let's talk about you. Uh, you. You grew up in Ireland. You weren't born in Ireland, but you grew up in Ireland. No, I was, you were, I was you born, born in Ireland. Yeah, went yeah, away. Yeah. I, I was born in Ireland, went away, came, came back. Right. And, yeah, was raised there. Cool. So... Um, city. The, and and the, that, that's... As a, a, a half Nigerian, half Irish person, 
you'd sort of talked about how there weren't any other black people at all in Ireland really at that time yeah 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 if I saw another black person that would be like something of an event yeah um it was yeah unusual it was like a 99.9 percent white country yeah um so just very little difference in any way you know um like if someone even had a surname that wasn't an Irish surname like that stood out you know so actually being being black was a big deal and do you feel um, the, the Ireland's changed a lot, right, in the last few decades? Yeah, yeah, like, it really has. It, it, whilst I think England, especially, has gone quite a long way in the other direction. You could say. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, obviously, it was not necessarily a, a, a pleasant experience. But do you feel um, that, as a writer and as an, uh, and uh, an academic, do you feel having that sense of growing up somewhere where you you know were different than everyone else was a was a positive thing for you in some ways if you ignore yeah, all the horrible yeah, racism yeah. that no, you I, <laughs> <laughs> no i think like alterity alterity oh god i'm so tired i cannot speak this, this is gonna be a fun evening i think like being like an outsider and kind of like observing stuff maybe from the margins can give you like in, an interesting perspective yeah. And I also just feel I was having lunch with somebody else who was Irish today who had left at a similar age to me and been in the UK for a similar amount of time. And we were both talking about how when we were growing up there and hers was nothing to do with race. um, But like I was saying, anything that was in any way different, you know, was it was a very, very socially conservative country until very recently. Um, So anyone that was like in any way different kind of was was going to leave. Um, we were talking about that, but we were talking about how looking back, there are so many things that we're grateful for, for having grown up there. Like, I think my perspective is very Irish, um, my worldview, my sense of humor. So in w- with hindsight, I'm great. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm Irish Emma rather than like American Emma, because yeah. I could have been if I'd stayed, if I'd stayed in the States. So... I couldn't, didn't necessarily think that at the time, but yeah, in, in hindsight, it was, um, yeah. Because we had a comedian called Phil Wang on a few weeks ago, who's half Malaysian and half English. And mm-hmm. he was sort of, he's written a book called Side Spitter, which is excellent, um, about sort of not feeling that he's, both feeling that you're both of those things, but neither of those things. Mm-hmm. So in, in Malaysia, he's too white, and in England, <laughs> he's, too, he's too Asian. Uh, and so he's sort of he's sort of like an outsider, mm-hmm. but it gives but but also it gives you a perspective. I think as a comedian, especially, it kind of maybe more so, it gives you a sort of perspective on both the cultures. Yeah, I think as a as a comedian, as a writer, I think there's a lot of professions actually where it gives you like a particular insight and perspective that yeah. can be that can be rich. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel does it? I mean, because it's it's interesting with obviously if you're you're half if you're half of two things. <laughs> Uh, and uh, do you do you feel that same as Phil? Do you feel like n- not Irish so, in Ireland? And no, like to be honest, I wouldn't describe myself as half Irish no. or half Nigerian. I would say that I'm Irish and Nigerian. You yeah. know, um, I don't think that you have to. Yeah, I don't really buy into that whole like system of categorizing people, like you know, into kind of like quotants like that so yeah. yeah i would say like i'm an, an irish woman yeah, yeah not half irish or sometimes people would be like oh my god you're really like in touch with your irish side and i'm like what are you talking about like i'm fr- I'm, I'm irish <laughs> you know irish people don't really say that it's usually english people they're like oh yeah you're really in touch with your irish side i'm like yeah because i'm irish so anyway 
<laughs> but it's you know it has changed so much. And I saw the I saw the um, uh, the documentary about now I'm terrible with football uh, football, but the manager Charlton was it was it the manager of Ireland Jack Jackie Charlton uh, who was a big fan of Paul McGrath who's the Paul uh, McGrath Paul McGrath yeah we don't pronounce the T H okay. who was a uh, Got everything wrong so far. Every, every <laughs> single I wanted to say Paul McGrath as well. And I thought I, I, I thought That's no, it's Paul McGrath. In this <laughs> um, and uh, but he again. He, I think. Do you think his story? Sort of. He, he had a, an awful childhood and and uh, had quite a lot of repercussions into his adult life. But the Ireland really took the people of Ireland really took him to heart. Uh, after the success of the Irish football team, mm-hmm. um, and do you think that's was I would think that was a big turning point for for Ireland. And, <laughs> no, I don't think Paul you know. McGrath was like was a big turning point for Ireland. Actually, I'm a, I'm a bit traumatized by Paul McGrath because when I was growing up, they'd be like, "Is that your dad?" Like that's my association right. <laughs> with Paul McGrath um, or being called Pauline McGrath. Um, so yeah, I don't think he was the turning point. No. But I think like that that's the thing that happens. You know, if somebody it's changed now because there is there is like a black and brown kind of like Irish identities emerging and communities and stuff in the way that there certainly wasn't in my time or in Mr. McGrath's. Um, but I think when somebody you know had um, shown themselves to be like exceptional in the manner that he had, then there's like kind of a claiming. But I would imagine that when he was growing up, his, um, he was probably rejected. Because I was kind of told, I was always told, you know, you're not really Irish. So I would imagine it was, it was, it was yeah. similar for him. Yeah. No? Okay. Um, well, look. <laughs> I really um, didn't expect us to be talking about you, Paul there'll McGrath. Be a, there'll be a lot of stuff you're not expecting. There'll be a lot of stuff you're not expecting. <laughs> yeah. okay. Believe me, it's going to go a long way from this phrase. Um, so, uh, your first book, um, which uh, I have not read, but I've read about. Uh, That's totally grand. Because it didn't, I ordered it from Amazon and it didn't turn up. And Miriam Margoli's book is about 4,000 words, pages long. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's, that was uh, about people touching your hair or not wanting people to touch your hair. So the book isn't about people not touching my hair. But that's, that's what it is. <laughs> but the, the, ty- the title yeah. references yeah. that social phenomenon. Sure. But I guess it's kind of a, um, it's quite a, you know, straightforward kind of simplistic title. The book is about like, it's about a lot more than just the phenomenon of unsolicited hair touching of black people. I mean, there's like, there's a chapter. So what I, what I wanted to do was um, show, we were, there was starting to be this conversation about black hair kind of entering the mainstream. In black communities and like black cultures, hair is, um, you know, something that just like a lot of creative energy is poured into and hair is kind of like a big deal. Um, but I think people outside wouldn't really know that. But that was starting to become kind of something that was entering into mainstream conversations. And then there was like a backlash against that being like, oh, my God, they're just banging on about hair. Like, it's only hair. You know, it's not a big deal. So I wanted to write something that demonstrated like why, like why black hair matters, like why it is important. Um, so just going into the kind of social history of um of 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 black hair and ways in which you know you can actually see a lot that is going on in terms of where we're at in terms of kind of race relations and stuff based 
on people's hairstyles. You can sure. see histories of like resistance and assimilation and all of these politics are expressed through hair and the way hair is policed and the way hair is worn and stuff. So it's like a, a history book that goes from pre-colonial Africa through like slavery, the Harlem Renaissance, um, into today and the future and kind of Afrofuturistic. So it's cyclical in time and all of that good stuff. So yeah, it's not, ju it's not just about hair. No, no. Um, good. Because <laughs> I've got uh, Chinese hair. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. I know, so I know. I don't fully understand what that means. Well, but <laughs> I went to a Thai barber and he told me I had uh, Asian hair. Okay. So, yeah. you know. I mean, you have lovely hair. Yeah. So I know a lot about what you're talking about. That's what I'm <laughs> the, it, Mainly, my life has been not much prejudice, but whenever my hair is seen, people are very prejudiced. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I know, I know a lot of you talking about that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry um, to hear that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that book, you talk about, uh, like, it, 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 it is sort of interesting um, the way that Beyonce and uh, Lauren Hill are treated very differently, and one chose to westernize her hair and one chose to not westernize her hair. Is that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just the hair. I think, like, Lauren Hill was somebody that had quite, um, like, her politics and her whole output was very different to Beyonce's. I think they're just very different artists. It's probably no coincidence that, that diff one of the ways that difference is expressed is through their hair. You yeah. know, Lauren having locks and Beyonce having that. But then the attitudes of people towards those two artists as well, did you think that... that She's Lauren Hill seems more militant. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think especially in those days, you know, but I, I, I don't think she's seen as more militant because of her hair. But I think um, her militancy is also expressed through yeah. her choice of hairstyle, you know, as opposed to in contrast to Beyonce's. This is, this is the quote that I wanted to... This is what I was looking for earlier. Uh, Until the late 1990s, being black and Irish in Ireland was to almost unicorn standards except everybody loves unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> very good quote. Um, and so the, the new book, which you wrote during lockdown, Oh yeah. Uh, uh, what White People Can Do Next. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it, it is a provocative title. It is. Well, I wrote a book during to lockdown. To elicit such reactions. I, joke, I wrote a book called, in lockdown called The Problem With Men, and the same thing happens ah, is, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. is that people <laughs> read the title and decide. But then but that's a deliberate choice to do to make the, the title provocative so that people are then, you know, hopefully rather than going, oh, no, you can't tell me what to do next. I'm going to tell you that they'll yeah, read the yeah, book yeah, and find yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there was a lot of that yeah, reaction. Of I had a lot of, like, really irate... Um, people who are racialized as white message me and say, how dare you write a book telling me what to do? I'm not taking instructions from a black person. Um, and That's I was not like white people, is it? Very <laughs> <Hey>, surprise. <laughs> but, you know, within three or four pages, I have identified why it's actually like a really problematic title, you know, and how I actually see, like I'm challenging, I'm not just talking about anti-racism, I'm actually trying to challenge the whole concept of race and yeah. looking at these generic categories like white and black and saying it is actually preposterous for me to 
write this myth of two white people like who 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 is who am I addressing you know so I'm kind of looking at the language and the framing of current anti-racist discourse and critiquing it yeah and it's interesting that white people of a lot of it not all of it but yeah. but you know there's a lot it's a it's a short book but there's a there's a lot packed in there and it's quite hard to unpack it all I think it's there's a lot of things oh no I'm wanna... really sorry to there's... hear that because well, it's no, meant but... to be kind of like a, but... a, a crash course no but it's good because it makes you think a lot but there's stuff that I'm you know I've read it twice so does that make up for not reading the first one <laughs> uh, and and I'm you know there's still but I you know I'd not thought about the idea that uh, I mean, for both white and black people, but the, the, to categorise white people and say you're all in a gang, and whether you're from Russia or Finland or wherever, you're all you're all the <laughs> you're all the same group. Is yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't take that, you know, from for, for any other kind of. It, it is odd to be categorised as a uh, in white and black people. And as black well. is the it, same. It's, it's yeah, exactly there's the same. huge diversity that yeah. exists amongst people who are racialized as black. You yeah. know, there's lots of different cultures, lots of different um, conditions and ideas. Yeah, it's just that huge diversity in these generic categories that were invented in the 17th century. Yeah, so you know? so the book argues that it's not. it was in 1611 or something like that, the idea 1661. of... 1661. Okay, that, yeah. it, uh, <laughs> that the, the idea of black and white was created. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know, again, people are going to go... Well, there were black and white people before then. There weren't. There weren't. That's what I say in the book. I'm just yeah. like, in the history of humankind, white people are babies. They've only existed since 1661, but so have black people, you know? So obviously there have always been differences in complexion and hair texture and all of those things that we now understand as race, racialized difference. But the idea that those things had any intrinsic value didn't exist until the invention of the idea of a white race and and a black race. Yeah. Um, and it was created um, the first time we see a ref. So these these concepts that we have of ourselves as white people or black people that are presented as you know just the natural order of things. You know, they're just consistent categories that happen to exist. Um, are really relatively recent ways of us understanding ourselves and each other and they were the concept of a of a white race as we understand it now was first introduced in the english colony of barbados in 1661 codified into law through these slave codes and the reason it was created at that time in that place is various things were going on but one of the reasons was to enshrine this notion of superiority in the group who came to be known as white people to justify the enslavement of the group who came to be known as black people. Um, all of the, the kidnapped Africans that were in Barbados and in the Americas whose labor, um, the colonies were becoming increasingly reliant the, the economies of the colonies were becoming increasingly reliant on. Um, so to justify um, that kind of brutal system of exploitation, the, the idea of a white race that was innately um, superior 
and were the natural kind of lords and masters of this black race. And that's when blackness started to be associated with all of these negative characteristics and white, white people with all of these virtuous and positive ones. It was to justify that system. But another reason that it happened in that moment in Barbados was because, and I think this is really interesting, um, the, in, the Europeans that were in the colony had no sense of themselves as white people or having kind of a shared identity as, as white until the idea was was introduced and it really took it really like caught on um, <laughs> um but there was everyone like in terms of europeans that were there there were like indentured irish there were english landlords scottish landlords there were all of these different classes of european people from different countries as well who had no share sense of a shared identity these laws were introduced after there had been a number of uprisings where enslaved Africans and indentured Irish had come together to attack the English and Scottish landlords who they saw as a common enemy. They're like, they're both exploiting our labor. Um, and this was really like threatening to the status quo because there were more of those people if they all came together. Mm. And one of the things that the idea of of whiteness did was to shut down those coalitions emerging between like white workers the people who came to be known as white yeah. workers and enslaved africans because it, it it introduced this kind of immutable difference between them and this notion of you know the superiority of one and the inferiority of the other so it was actually also to prevent um yeah these kind of cross-racial coalitions from emerging sure. and and that's you know that's stayed with us ever since really so the, so i mean weirdly enough but in my book as well which does touch on uh, uh, all lives matter and black lives matter and all that nonsense that all lives matter bit uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> as well as the, as uh, you know the, the the sexism and stuff but it but it is the, the men who sort of in my my books about the men who go when's international men's day when there's an international women's day uh, and and yet my conclusion was not exactly the same as yours, but, but in that actually the system is weighted against those guys, not because of women, but because of the, of the ruling elite who are the ones who send them to war. And all men go, well, this is bad for men, this is bad for men, this is bad for men. And the reason those things are bad for men mm -hmm. is because of the people in charge. Exactly. And, and, and they've bought into that idea of men. And this is the same thing with by buying into the idea of whiteness, feeling a superiority to other people and, and, and then feeling threatened by those people because you've been told to. Whereas the real enemy is the people uh, with all the money with all the money yeah basically. yeah yeah and uh, people are distracted from identifying that because their focus is on the wrong people you yeah. know who they've been kind of conditioned and manipulated to see as their to see as their enemy even though they might have a long common yeah so you're talking you're talking about the idea of a, co a coalition of uh, of people understanding that and and coming together rather than being sort of forced apart well i just think it's i think in this moment when you know race is kind of so high on the agenda and there are so many conversations about uh racism and anti-racism i think it's really important to have a familiarity with that history and to know that race was invented to justify racism and to enshrine this kind of hier hierarchy of races i just think that is history that is kind of yeah cru crucial for us to know and it's, it's very it's not very well known at all like a most people are quite surprised when they're... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. because I think in the UK especially, we're not taught that, which, you know, again, is why, when will it be White History Month? 
is is the same. It's the same thing. We're not taught the reason there's a Black History Month is because we don't know any of this stuff, and you yeah, know, and, yeah. and increasingly we're sort of being told to, you know, be proud of our of the colony, you know, the British Empire and but all this sort of stuff. But the stuff I'm talking right? about is English history. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know why well, they, I did they choose not to teach that part. I did history at university and I I didn't know, you know. I, you know looking back at it, the, I did a, I did a mod... Well, I didn't really do any work anyway. But that's irre- irrelevant. I did I did something about slavery and emancipation in America. That was yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, So yeah, that was yeah. my special so subject. outsourced. Yeah. yeah. And I only did that because I couldn't speak any languages. So <laughs> I had to do something in America. And that was that was what I was offered. Uh, but, but you know, so it's not something that, that was covered at all, you mm-hmm. know. So it, it, is, it, it is interesting that, um, yeah. I, the, I, but it, the book, it seems, you, you're, you're saying, you know, there, sh- there shouldn't be white guilt and we, and, 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 and you don't like the idea of um, uh, checking your privilege and all that sort of stuff. And yet it half, it half seems that, and it half seems like you're really calling for the whole of society to be destroyed and start again. I, think. <laughs> don't you think? I mean, there's, I don't know if it's but there's that, like, there's that great, <laughs> there's the analogy you quote about a, a, a slave ship and the, you've got the slaves chained up underneath and the, and the, the guys, uh, the white guys above taking the ship and the answer isn't to let a few of the slaves up to be on the upper decks with the other guys. The answer is to get rid of the get slave rid of ship. Get the ship, yeah. But isn't yeah. that what you're saying about society, therefore, if, if that's the... Well, I mean, the, the beauty of art is interpretation. So, yeah, that... <laughs> <laughs> because, if, because if, you know, the capital... You, you talk about capitalism and capitalism has to change. But if capitalism changes, it's not just about saying, well, let's make it fair so that the... So that the the best people get to have the have the money and everyone else does the work. Yeah, it has to be. Otherwise, it's just creating a different underclass of people. So well, presumably, you don't want that. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like you know the the the. So in the book, I have a, a section that is inter- says it's called interrogate capitalism, and it's just looking at the kind of origins of the system of global capitalism that we live under now and how its origins are at the same time that race is being invented in these in, in these English and European colonies and how the system of, um, yeah, that global financial system is intimately linked to the, to the creation of race in that, in that historical moment. And so the relationship, I say race and capitalism, race and capitalism are, are siblings, you know? And then I also kind of link all of it to the, our current environmental crisis. Yeah. And it's that type of, that exploitation of um, human labor and the exploitation of the earth's resources and the pursuit, you know, of just constant growth and profit has brought us, has not only brought us to this crisis around race, but has also brought us to this moment of environmental crisis. And so those two things are also also kind of like intimately intertwined. And um, the current system is not, it's just not sustainable, no. you know, by by any calculation. So we can only continue as we are in this direction for going in this direction for a finite amount of time because literally, like, the earth can't sustain it. Yeah. You know, but we just kind of ignore that. So you're claiming, you're calling for the overthrow of us, of our society. No, because the, the chapter is not called overthrow. It's called interrogate capitalism. But, just like think about these things. Yeah, you know? think about and it think and about then the overthrow it. I mean, I agree with it. I think it's, but it does, you know, it is absolutely, it, it's sort of, when you, when you think about the, the damage done to the world, 
by European, it's European people. So let's call them, let's just call them all white people. Uh, you know, we've, we've fucked up the world, right? We, we created this awful situation. It's, it's, and it's sort of, I mean, you know, the, when you look, I mean, I hope people will look back at, be able to look back at our time and, and, and laugh at how ridiculous and awful it is. But you look back 300 years, you think, how did, how did people like put people in slave ships and take them across mm -hmm. an ocean? How did they morally do that? How, how were they able to, to live with themselves after doing that? And they were able to do it. Yeah, yeah. So they, they came up with some reason for doing that. The irony, I mean, you're talking about the, a, lot, a lot of the slaves worked on tobacco, plant, tobacco places. And then they're making tobacco, which then killed all the white people smoking the tobacco. <laughs> so it's like, it's creating these awful situations for everyone, yeah, where the, everyone the, the, loses, the, the, yeah, the, and then the, they destroy the world. <laughs> and that's it, in a nutshell. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, that's what I feel with the, you know, the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with my book, is that the, the feeling of these people propping up these systems that if they thought about it, you know, the answer is to, is to change society very quickly surely yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah. absolutely absolutely and i think the emphasis needs to be on um on on that rather than you know this current kind of almost fetishization of interpersonal privilege like the type of change that needs to happen with something of a degree of urgency is not going to happen on that interpersonal level so all of the emphasis on check your privilege and all that is actually, I think, quite distracting. You know, yeah. I think our attention is in the is in the wrong place. And in the book, like I say, you can't just jump to coalition. Like I think there there needs to be like an honest. So one of the other chapters, I think one of the first chapters is like stop stop the denial. So I think there need there needs to be an understanding of the the the, the fact that when whiteness, when the idea of white people is invented. It is invented to enshrine this notion of inherent superiority. So we shouldn't be surprised when racist things happen. Race was invented to justify racism. So we need to have that as our starting point. We need to understand that. But then we need to kind of move, we need to move on from that. And I think rooting everything in this, as, as I said, this kind of interpersonal privilege level is um, is not very strategic and won't bring about yeah, yeah what needs I to agree. happen. Well, it feels like check your privilege when you see that it's it's more like you're not allowed to comment on this. Is it that it seems a way of shutting someone out of a conversation? As much as I understand why it's there, and I've had you know there are I think it's good for people to understand the way they're privileged if they're not they're not looking at it that way. Yeah, but yeah, just yeah. to say just just to say check your privilege is, is sort of a shutdown. You do talk about social media being sort of not helpful really in this it's a way of saying something and not doing anything yeah so i think social media has been like really powerful and helpful in like the the global response you know that happened that we saw um after the murder of george floyd and all of the changes that seem to be subsequently happening like i think social media was really really powerful in in bringing us to that point like i don't think people would have paid as much attention if it hadn't been for the power of social media. But I just feel that um, when these conversations about um, race happen only on social media and people are getting all of their 
learning about it from social media, it tends to be quite re reductive and polarizing. And these platforms are not just neutral platforms where people are just, you know, kind of exchanging, um, exchanging information, but they're actually, they're spaces where, um, you know, outrage and division is, incent is incentivized. So when you are having um, all these conversations about something like race happening in a landscape where division is incentivized, that is potentially like pretty disastrous. So I think social media can be like a powerful tool for bringing your attention to issues that you didn't, that creating um, kind of awareness of issues that people really didn't, might not have known about. But I think their understanding of those issues has to go beyond the information that they see or find on social media. You know, people have to kind of read more further. More, and just more being seen that. to say the right thing rather than, so, than act upon it. So, you know, there, there's, there's always, but there's an element of that. In, it's not just social media. In life, there is the, the kind of people who just want to say the right thing yeah, and are exactly. never going to do anything. So that's one of the things that I say about guilt. You know, I'm saying guilt is not a, a generative um, emotion. I feel like guilt paralyzes people. But also, if people are operating from a position where they're just trying to make themselves feel less guilty, and it's about them in that way, I think the actions that they, that motivation, the actions that stem from that motivation, I think are just likely to be performative, piecemeal, and, and inadequate. But if you're motivated from the, from the, from knowing that you are also in certain ways oppressed or exploited by the system that we live under, and you're actually, actually acting more out of self-interest rather than out of, I feel guilty and I need, to, I need to kind of do something about that or I need to not be called out or whatever, you know, yeah. kind of fear of being called out. Um, I think the action taken will be, will be very different. Like, yeah, so I don't, I don't think guilt is particularly helpful. No. Now, I hope the book would just tell me what to do next. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of work. You told me to read books and stuff. I wasn't expecting that. I also uh, uh, encourage dancing. Though. Yeah, dancing as well. Um, here's a specific example. And what should I do in this situation? I live in a small village in uh, Hertfordshire now. Uh, and uh, there's... <laughs> and there's uh, a guy who walks his dogs, who, I, who I, I just nod at every now and again. We say hello when we pass each other. And then I passed him one day and he was wearing an All Lives Matter t-shirt. And, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> should I say anything to him? No, I didn't, I didn't say, mate, just Black Lives Matter means that, means the same as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, what yeah, Black yeah. Lives Matter, not yeah, being yeah, clever. Yeah. We live in a village where there are some black people. There aren't very many black people. There aren't many ethnic people, but there's, you know, there's, there are some. And you're thinking this guy's walking around with that t-shirt is it wrong for me to wimp out of... of I mean, I've mentioned on a podcast now, so I'm, you might, you might listen to, Is it wrong for me to wimp out and not go, mate, don't... I should go, don't wear that around. It's embarrassing. So if, if you just say to him, don't wear that, like, that's probably not going to be that effective no. and he'll probably get really defensive yeah. and he's almost probably trying to... He's, it's quite provocative, him wearing that. It is. So he probably almost wants somebody to say that. But maybe... And I, this is where I feel like you would have more energy to do this perhaps than 
a person who's uh, racialized as black or some other racialized group because when you're kind of having those confrontations regularly and it's literally about your life that's weighted quite differently than it would be for you so yeah. you should have the energy to have like a, a conversation I feel with him just to kind of like probe and I think in in a more con in a dialogue maybe you could be more effective in shifting his opinion than just saying you shouldn't be wearing that yeah you know I could give him a copy of my book which is about about that but I, it's weird that I that I you know that I, that's where you feel like ah so like I've written something but I'm not prepared to you know, because it, you, it's exactly that. I feel you're right. I feel but if, if you've I said written anything, something, you, uh, you have all the resources yeah. to probably be quite convincing and compelling yeah. to him in conversation. I think so, just, yeah, you should try I that. Just, I would just call him a prick pretty quickly. <laughs> and I mean, you're totally entitled to do that. And he probably is a prick, right? But like, <laughs> I guess it just depends what outcomes we want, you yeah. know? I mean, I think almost certainly he thinks he's... Doing, he thinks he's making a point of, hey, look, you know, we should care about everyone. That's what he thinks. So he, in his head, yeah, 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 he thinks he's being. I think he thinks he's being a bit of a prick, but he thinks he's making a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sad. All right. If he wears it again, he's in trouble. <laughs> gonna have to. Gonna have to. Can I ring you and get you to talk to him? If I. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's your job. That is my Set, job. Hand him my book. I'll hand him your book. I'll hand him my. I'll hand him my book. Let's get rid of some of my books. <laughs> Got a big load of them in the back of my house. I need to get rid of them. Um, all right, I'm going to ask you uh, an emergency question, and it's why are white people the best? No, it's not. It's, uh... oh my God. <laughs> let's see what. Let's see what comes up. Oh, these. This. These are by my daughter. This, this is, I, my daughter wrote some of these. Okay. Would you rather be the floor or the sky? That is from my... Definitely my the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an easy one. Not like <laughs> the questions you were asking me backstage. I was like, what? This is another, <laughs> this is another from my daughter. I haven't, I haven't paid her for this. Would, what would you rather find at the end of the universe? Candyland or pink, purple and pinky purple land? Pinky purple land. Yeah. yeah. Everything's pink or purple. But in Candyland, candy is everything candy? Everything's made of sweets. No, I can't, yeah. can't deal with that. I'd have to go put pink, yeah, pink, purple. Child, there was, those are childish questions. <laughs> is the next one going to be more sophisticated? It is. Would you rather find a magical land by walking through the back of your wardrobe or by being caught up in a tornado? Definitely the wardrobe option. Yeah? Yeah. I watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with my kids yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's stupid, isn't it? It's a loads, classic. Loads of talking animals, isn't it? That doesn't make any sense. Ridiculous. Didn't get to the. I didn't find out who wins in the end. Uh, it's, a, it's a Christian allegory, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Aslan is God. Uh, he's yeah. Satan. He's, he's what? Aslan. <laughs> Aslan is Satan. Um, Jesus. He just eats all the kids in the end. <laughs> If you get to the last, <laughs> the last uh, book, um, so the, well, the guilt thing is quite interesting because there is, you know, there, there. there I, I do feel like I was talking about reading this book about um, fantastic women with my daughter, mm. and just like I feel, my daughter actually said, uh, said what, what? I said in the past, women weren't, you know, people thought women shouldn't be educated. 
She went, what, so they didn't go to school? And so I said, yes, that's brilliant. You just stay at home. <laughs> so I don't, think got, I don't think she got the right. But it's sort of that. It, I do, you know, I feel embarrassed just reading that book about uh, women. Uh, and I do feel like, you know, I just feel... Well, well, all the stuff that's happened with the Colston statue, which, which is from Bristol, near where I grew up. Um, and, you know, people... Obviously, it's wrong to pull down statues without, without asking permission. But he, uh, Shocking boundaries. So I feel very guilty about that. No, I feel, I feel you know, it, it is amazing when you look at the, the history of Britain and the UK, how much of, uh, of the society's built, Liverpool and Bristol oh, yeah, yeah, built yeah. on Slippery slavery. Slippery with the blood of slaves. And so what, how, do we, how do we make up? I mean, I know it's not, it's not our fault, but as you say in the book, it's how we act with that. Is there, how do you feel we should act in the modern day with, with, the, with the money that people are, I mean, there are rich people who I guess are still rich off of that money that was made in, in those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, and often people who were powerful then um, and their power was, you know, kind of consolidated or certainly enhanced, you know, through the, through the slave trade. A lot of their descendants are still powerful today, you know. Yeah. Um, so... I think at the very, at the most basic level, there just needs to be like a truthful reckoning, like with the, with the history, with the history of Britain, you know, like I think that that is like the most basic thing that needs to happen. And it's not about like people are like, oh, you can't make me feel guilty for, da, da, da. and I'm just like, yeah, but you don't have to feel guilty for something that your ancestors did, you know, but you have to take responsibility for what what you do yeah. you know we've all been born into this system we've all inherited this system and the architecture of race these are these are decisions that were made like you know centuries before we were born but we don't have to just blindly continue to reproduce it you know we can actually make things oh my god i should have turned my phone off that's very <laughs> unprofessional i think it's my mum as well she's kind of stalking me sorry mum um <laughs> I think I just turned the ringer on. Shit. Um, <laughs> I'm a little delirious. I didn't have I didn't have very much sleep last night. Um, I've got young children. And I understand. Yeah. We're both um, the same. We're both <laughs> in a fantasy. This probably isn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone through the back of the wardrobe. We might have done. Um, so yeah, I think there just I think there just needs to be. I don't think like Britain has had an honest reckoning with the truth of you know, empire and imperialism and the way that has shaped the identity and the culture of the country. And again, it's not about like, you know, haranguing people, but it's just about being honest about the, the history and how, and you know, then people will be like, oh, but why are you banging on about something that happened like 200 years ago? And I'm like, well, because it completely shapes the present. Like it's the reason why things are the way they are it's the reason why we're having these conversations so yeah there just needs to be that that honest engagement and what do you but what do you feel i know you sort of say in the book you don't think that it's helpful to talk about an end game but where what are you what are, you, are we ideally getting to a world where that where race is, is it just isn't a factor or are we ideally getting to a world where you know everyone is appreciative of their own cultures and uh, yeah, I mean, because well, it's 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 it, and I did a routine about about how you know the in a way racists are more liberal than liberals because they see the world as 
four, four kinds of people. They've, and some of them only see it as two kinds of people, so they're very close to seeing everyone is exactly the same. They just need to make one, one more step, whereas the rest of us is 195 different peoples and we're a long way away. But are we, are we aiming for a world where race is just seen the same as hair colour or eye colour or height or whatever? I mean, like, difference will always exist and difference is like a beautiful and, one, and, 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 and wonderful thing, you know? Like, the kind of diversity that exists in the world is, um, is, is phenomenal and it's not about creating some sort of, like, homogenised, um, you know, standardised... Well, I mean, that is kind of what what does happen but yeah that's not that is not the aim but when i think it's just important that we know um that this architecture of race that we see as um a, a foundational principle um and the only way of viewing the world is just a relatively recent phenomenon it's not something that just naturally occurs just happens to be in nature and it was invented to in to create and enshrine racism yeah. i don't know necessarily like i don't have a prescriptive that this is what we do when we know that but i think if everybody really understood that that would be at least you know a starting point yeah you know because it is true that people don't know people go oh well you know we're it's in it's in in us innately that if people look different, they, they're not from our tribe and they oh must fight them. But everyone seems to get on with, except with ginger-haired people, they, also, they all seem to get on with... They all seem to get on with, you know, those a, sort of differences. Apparently people with ginger hair actually have, like, really poor outcomes right. on, lots of, um, on lots of markers. Um, yeah. Somebody was telling me that recently. Like, they actually... I, I don't know. Well, I mean, they do there's studies on They it, deserve but, like, it, though. That's the thing. So that is... <laughs> That's that's the that's the difference. <laughs> it's okay if come on, we've got to be allowed to be racist towards one <laughs> one lot of people. And if it's just the gin, if, it, if we move on to the gingers, not, will you look, look, will you what, come what on? What does outside? my book say? Stop the false equivalency. Come on, we know we know gingers aren't a race. <laughs> racially. Um, no, what what was I? No, there was something I wanted to say and I've forgotten. But um, yeah, I think we, we, we at least need to know about the fictitious nature of race. And it's not to say that racism doesn't exist, because then some people try and take it to that conclusion. Yeah. Racism is real and present, but um, race was, 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 was created to, to, to create it. And actually, that's what I was thinking. You know when people are like, oh, well, racism, it's just human nature. There's been racism for millennia. Yeah. That is objectively untrue. Like, that's, that's just not true. There's always been prejudice, you know, um, but it actually being racism is really, really a new, in the, in the kind of scope of human history, it's a new phenomenon. Right. And, I mean, in some ways, the United Kingdom seems better about this than when I was a, a kid, mm -hmm. right? And I was as racist as, not as anyone, I wasn't as racist as Hitler. Uh, I was as racist... <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I, I was racist as a kid. I, mm -hmm. would, I would think just because... I mean, you talk about it in, in your book, but, there were, you know, there were nursery rhymes with the N-word in them mm -hmm. uh, that we were just... that we were taught. So you were taught certain things. All TV... The TV shows of the 1970s was all, what if a black fella moves in next door to you? That, that, that was the sort of yeah, 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 yeah. main joke. Uh, and, um, I, you know, and... and do you feel that England... I mean, I'm, it's mainly England I'm talking about because I yeah, think yeah. the rest of the United Kingdom has done a lot better. No, maybe not Northern Ireland. Uh, but, 
But do, do you feel we've progressed? Because, you know, that sort, that, that sort of stuff wouldn't be on TV mm. anymore. And, and kids, mm. kids growing up wouldn't be just innately taught to be racist and wouldn't... And would, yeah. it, would, it, would that, I mean, some would, but not, not, not to that degree. Yeah, no, I think there has definitely, there has definitely been change. And that kind of like explicit racism is not um, as present in the way, in, in, in the way that it was that you're describing. But racism is actually like quite sophisticated and like it morphs and it adapts. So even though there's not necessarily that level of explicit stuff, I don't think that means that, that, that doesn't mean that we've kind of like solved the problem and that it's 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 gone away but certainly there has been there has been change yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um but i quote james baldwin quite a lot in the book because i'm a big fan of his writing and even though he's writing in the 1950s and the 1960s i just think he's you know even for now his writing seems you know kind of streets ahead of um of of lots of other like more contemporary voices but he's he's talking about he says all European people have, um, there's a deadly temptation to feel an innate superiority. So there's a, <laughs> do you want to elaborate? <laughs> um, so there's a deadly temptation to feel an innate superiority. Um, and I think that is something that, yeah, just has to be, has to be like engaged with, you know, but whiteness was created to 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 create that sense of an innate of an innate superiority you know so that's that that that's there in the dna of the racial classification and the racial category and i'd sort of felt like racists would die out you know the the racists are old so therefore racism would die with old people mm -hmm. but it, that doesn't seem to be happening no, I don't. Th I don't think there's any. Um, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that. Um, I think that sometimes I feel this this generation, this um, division of people in terms of generation, is actually again maybe like a bit misleading. I don't even know if it's like empirically correct, but right. I think there's lots of older people who probably like aren't really racist and lots of younger people who probably are yeah. really racist you know i don't think it's necessarily determined by your generation no it might show up differently you know the way you um the the racism might show up differently based on on your generation but i don't think it's fully determined just by your age no and you know i sort of feel sorry for the you know in a way i feel sorry for those guys and write about them in my book, the guys who were sort of furiously protecting the statue of Winston Churchill and sort of fight, so got so confused they were punching each other and the police because <laughs> nobody had turned up to... And they're so angry, you know, they're so angry, and yet all of their problems come from, from within, you know, from them not knowing who their, their, their yeah, real yeah, enemy yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if only their, their anger could be more effectively directed yeah. you know in some way that might bring them some sense of peace and like fulfillment yeah but you know is, are they, is, there, is that sort of feeling of I mean it's sort of been proven wrong hasn't it because we've, we've they've sent home everybody who came to the country to work for us and they've discovered nobody in England wants to take those jobs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so 
there weren't people coming over and taking their jobs. They'll accept. But, it, but it's, it, I think it's very hard to change minds because it's very hard to change people's minds when they've got that committed to their point of view, to that, to that degree that they won't even listen to an argument. So it, it, that's, they're the guys you have to convince for sexism, for racism, those guys, and it's those particular guys in Trafalgar Square, they're both sexist and racist and angry with themselves and want to punch someone because they're so, because they're lost. They, they are, I understand, I get it. They feel lost and they feel emasculated by their own definition of what a man is. They feel like the world's changing. Mm -hmm. And they need as much help as anyone, really. To... Sometimes I think, I don't actually know, I'm not familiar with okay. this, this, this group of men, sadly. I think um, you are, I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this, this, particular, this, this, this yeah. particular incident, um, yeah, I have, I have a, a kind of vague awareness of it. But um, I think that there are kind of like fringe extremists that, um, you know, it's not even really about them. Like there's people that, it probably would just be completely like wasted energy and effort, like they're too far gone. But I would imagine that those people are more, um, are a minority. And I think there's a lot of other people who are more like, who could be more easily persuaded in certain yeah. ways, but they're, a but, the, but the way think, but they actually become alienated and then are more susceptible to going that way, you know? But I think it's about um, kind of persuasive arguments. Yeah. yeah, and I think there are people that, I think there's a kind of mass of people that are, that are kind of probably more open to being easily persuaded. I, I think so. I mean, I'm a sort of hopeful, but I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. It feels like the world hasn't got much of a chance because of the environment and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so, yeah, it but I'm sort bleak. of hopeful that, 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 that things will... I do, it just feels like, you know, when you look back at Victorian times, people go, oh, they put kids up chimneys and they do this. What a load of idiots. And no one then... It's the same thing I was talking about. You do, you're not prepared to turn that focus onto yourself oh, and think, imagine what... I mean, I just hope in 100 years' time that people would look back and go, why the hell did people have this big issue about just, the, you know, the colour of someone's skin? It's absolutely insane. Yeah, so but even like even like our, our reliance on things like coltan, you know, in our phones, in, our, in all of the devices that we are so... Um, that we are so like addicted to and so reliant on. Like I actually think, you know, when people are like, oh, I never would have used like slave produced products. And I'm like, like you totally would have if it was normalized because you'll use coal, to, you'll use these minerals that are mined by children in like horrific conditions and not really think twice about it or wear clothes that are like, you know, made by sweatshop laborers so yeah m most people probably will go along with like appalling things if they are if they're normalized and they'll just kind of compartmentalize it and justify it to themselves in some way yes that's sad isn't it <laughs> um what are you what are you gonna do next Emma? <laughs> well i'm not a white person so i don't need to do anything <laughs> can i can i tell can i i don't think i should be able to tell you no, um <laughs> I, I, do you do you because uh, you're finishing? You've been. This is your PhD as well, right? This. Yeah, this this well, is my PhD. The, this was but, just like a little 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 cute side product but, project uh, in um in lockdown. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. No, I'm actually in the in the final year of my PhD. Yeah. Um. So I'm just gonna just gonna finish that off. And then do you want to move? I mean, you're a fantastic writer and Thank thinker. You. <laughs> Thank you. Are you going to? Does it? Is it irritating that I've just talked to you for an hour about? I mean, about your book, to be fair. You, you started it. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, it's it's uh, that's it, it sort of it, I, it annoys me that I have to have this con- like a conversation with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you were a, a white author, I would talk to you about other stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you are you keen to write about other stuff? Or yeah, you, like a hundred percent. Like I I intend to write more, and the next book that I'm planning will be will not be non-fiction it will be fiction that yeah it won't have race as like kind of I often feel like I didn't want to write anything on allyship I didn't even really want to contribute to the allyship conversation I felt like provoked by everything that I was seeing by by what was happening around me and I was like no I actually need I need to there needs to be an intervention like I actually felt like a duty of service (laughs) to write that but yeah there there are many many other things that um that 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 interests me and that i would like to be you know thinking and writing about as well and antiques roadshow would you go back (laughs) of course but you're gonna i mean you're any as as well as being a writer you're an extremely glamorous person so i'm sure tv is knocking down your door to i mean if you're not watching the video of this the outfit is absolutely phenomenal (laughs) um so i'm sure that there's that that that's a pot do you, do you miss the days when academics were really disgustingly ugly? And had, <laughs> do you miss those? I miss those days. I don't know that. I don't know that I we miss. live in a time where academics are like renowned for the their one, glamour. The ones, you're, the ones you're allowed to see are all good looking now. They don't. They they hide away. That's what your next book should be about. We, okay. Yeah. Okay. One, get, bring out the ugly academics again. Get them out. Let them on the telly again. You used to watch Open University, and it just used to be. People who were barely like human. I mean, if if they didn't, they weren't speaking. You would think they were a different species. Someone like Stuart Hall seemed quite suave and sophisticated. Yeah, I don't know. Well, there's you know. I would, I'd, I'd, I'd dis, I don't, that's the only bad thing about you is you're too glamorous well do you know what the coat I didn't plan on wearing the coat on stage I'm just having so, well first of all I was a little bit cold when I was backstage yeah. I was like oh it's actually it fucking cold. freezing so I was like let me keep my coat on I didn't realise it'd be so hot out here but also I was having something of a wardrobe malfunction so I was like for the sake of decency I'll keep the coat on but now I'm actually quite uncomfortable okay. and kind of sweating what animal died for that green <laughs> that green fur you're wearing oh my god it's faux fur <laughs> No animals were harmed in the making of this coat. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm um, look, it's been really lovely to meet you. Likewise. I'm, I'm, I'm an awkward guy, aren't I? But, you know, <laughs> I do the awkward thing at the beginning and then suddenly I get all perceptive, don't I, in the middle? I wish it was, de- I wish it was deliberate. I wish it was deliberate. I, l- I lull them into a false sense of security. And I've got the... Then i got it. <laughs> my, that's my review. I'm just I'm just preempting the YouTube reviews of this. Which I'm, you know. Look forward to that. look forward to that. They don't know guys who go on YouTube don't like uh, women or people who aren't white. That's what I've noticed. So uh, I've noticed that. But I just delete your comments, guys, if you put them down, and block you. Um, look, I will look forward to whatever's coming next. Thank, Thank you very you. much Thanks for having me. For coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, Emily Emma Dabbery. You got it right. Yes. <laughs> you have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Emma Dabbery. Thank you to Scant Regard for playing the music on these titles. I am indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I am also indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, and everyone at Go Faster Stripe. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for looking after us so brilliantly. Thank you to Ben Walker for eating a big sandwich during these credits. (laughs) 
This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Head to GoFasterStripe.com slash badges. Become a monthly badger. You'll help us make more podcasts and you'll get loads and loads of lovely extras, including a badge and a membership pack and a secret code and backstage interviews that you can't see anywhere else. See you soon. Bye.